You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Andy and the worship team, I thought that was really good this morning. Thank you, Lord. Yep, come on. We've been looking at um, the book of Acts, and uh, last week I spoke on, um, I gave a couple of healing testimonies, and spoke a little bit about how or what the Holy Spirit does when it comes to, to healing, and um, I've noticed that the, uh, the presence of the Lord has been increasing. How many of you have noticed that... Uh, the presence of the Lord seems to be doing something. Here's what I would like to do today. Um, let me read this little verse of Scripture. I've got so many verses I want to read. So, In Third John, verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so one of the ways um, the Lord wants us to prosper, and we automatically think about finances, it's always nice to have plenty of money. But there's another, there are other kinds of uh, prosperity. There's prosperity of soul. Um, your soul can be uh, described, has been described as your mind, emotions, and your will. And one of the things... I know the Lord wants to do is he wants to make people happy. Is that okay? God makes us happy. (laughs) And one of the ways he does that is the power of the Holy Spirit can, can touch you in a way that positively affects your emotions. And, um, I've seen that happen off and on over the years. Actually, I got saved during the Jesus movement, probably 19, uh, let me think, it was probably 1968. And so I I have been a believer a long, long time. And how many of you know it's sort of hard to be a Christian? Anybody figure that out? Actually, it's impossible. Only Jesus can be a Christian. We just have to let him in, right? And depend on him because it's... uh, And so my own personal testimony is that if I had not had um, different times and different seasons where the Spirit of God would uh, touch me physically and or emotionally, I don't, honestly, I don't think I would have continued, I, I probably would have continued as a believer. I'm sure I would not have continued as a pastor. Um, because it, it can be, it can be so challenging, but you know, life's challenging. So it's not like pastors are more challenging than, than other, other occupations. But nevertheless, apart from ongoing encounters with the Holy Spirit, apart from being touched by the presence of God, uh, it says in Psalm sixteen eleven, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're going to look at a number of these verses of scripture and some of them I'm going to sort of plow into 
the Septuagint translation, which was the um, the Old Testament in Greek from the original Hebrew, because the Bible says some pretty remarkable things when it comes to how God wants to touch people in ways that positively affect their emotions. Um, I, I did a little research. Do, do you know that Christianity became the predominant religion in the Roman Empire in 300 years? And um, I, I, I have this. I want to read it because I think we need to understand what happened. We have to understand what went on. It wasn't just that the doctrine was good. You know, um, although obviously it was good. But uh, Ken Curtis, I found this on the Internet as I was rambling around through there. He said, how did the early Christian church survive? Humanly speaking, the odds were all stacked against it. It was unthinkable that a small despised movement from a corner of Palestine could move out to become the dominant faith of the mighty Roman Empire, an empire steeped in fiercely defended traditional pagan religions. The spread of the Christian church in its earliest centuries is one of the most amazing phenomena in all of human history. The church was considered a religio prava. I never heard of that before, but it means an illegal and depraved religion. Wave after wave of persecution was unleashed to squash it. At least two of the persecutions were empire-wide and intended to destroy the church. So, how did this young fledgling movement make it? Well, there are several contributing factors, and uh, quite frankly, none of us were alive back then, so who knows exactly what happened, but we do know that there were several contributing factors. First of all, it was primarily an urban faith establishing itself in the city centers of the Roman Empire. Most of the people lived close together in crowded tenements. There were few secrets in such a setting. The faith spread as neighbors saw the lives of the believers close up on a daily basis. And so one of the reasons Christianity spread was because it changed people's nature. They became kinder, loving, considerate, honest, and that was not the norm in the first three centuries. Um, Justin Martyr, a noted early Christian theologian, wrote to Emperor Antonius, Antonius Pius and described the believers. We formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now we love only chastity. Before we used, um, we used the magic arts, but now dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have and to everyone who's in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race, but now since the manifestation of Christ, we have come to a common life, pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without just cause. So part of it was the kind of lifestyle they led. But then there's um, part of it was it came at the right time. And actually the Bible does say that. 
that Jesus was born in a Kairos moment. In other words, it was the very perfect time in all human history for Jesus to have been born, for the gospel to have taken root. Uh, the Roman Empire actually provided avenues for the gospel to spread. Now, um, I found this uh, a little bit more in another location. I would tell you who wrote it, but I don't know. But it wasn't me. Now, specifically, these first century churches were known for their faith, their love, their zeal, their giving, their knowledge, their intolerance for sin, as well as false doctrines. I don't know how accurate all that is, but the first century was united in spirit. Consequently, and here's, I think, a second major, actually, I would say a third major. I would say the urban idea of Christianity the fact that it transformed people's lives. And the third one was they were a conduit for the power of God as it manifested in miraculous signs and wonders, principally performed through the apostles um, in response to the prayers of the saints, it says. And so what we see is um, Christianity took over the whole Roman Empire in about 300 years because of the character of the people that knew Jesus and because they had um, the power of the Holy Spirit that released signs, wonders, miracles, and I think touched people profoundly. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of background. How many of you, and, and close your eyes if you don't want anybody to see you when you answer this, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. Wave them. Wave them, wave them. Nice to see you. Glad you're here. That simply tells me I'm on the right track. I want to do a little bit of review because some of this is so important. If we don't have it as a foundational understanding, I think it, it will rob from us the faith to actually get in touch with the Lord and let the Lord get in touch with us in a way he wants to. Um, When the power of God visited the um, 120 in the upper room, Acts chapter 2, here's what the Spirit did. He enabled the church to carry out its mission. He empowered them to bear witness to the gospel, and he anointed God's people to perform many wonders. And here's the real idea we need to hear today. The Spirit isn't reserved for the select or the holy few He's the promised gift given to all whom God has called and who believe in his son. And one of the things that has really struck me, um, I don't know if you've thought this way. I know I have. I've thought, gosh, I'm so confused about some of the things when it comes to the gospel and the Lord. I just would certainly want to have spent time with Jesus in the flesh. How many of you thought that before? And ask him, come on, raise your foot if your arm's not working. Um I really have thought that way. Gosh, I'd like to ask Jesus a couple questions here to clear up some stuff because there's so many opinions and so many ideas. And um, Well, I, as I thought that, I also thought how absolutely unfair it was for the apostles to have been able to spend that time with Jesus and therefore they had um, an advantage to the rest of us. Is that logical, step number two? That's logical. It's not accurate, but it is logical. Because step number three or idea number three is this. If that were true, 
why were the apostles all afraid even after Jesus had been raised from the dead and even after Jesus had appeared to them and would speak to them in a human form that came through some dimensional warp. I don't know what it was. I don't have to understand that. In other words, Jesus raised from the dead. He would just suddenly appear. He'd walk through a wall. And the Bible says he appeared to over 700 people, and he did that many times in that 40-day period before his ascension. Why then were the apostles who had spent all that time with Jesus, who saw him die, who saw him raised from the dead, who heard his teaching, who saw his miracles, who slept in the same company of believers that Jesus did, who went through everything they went through for the three, three and a half year period of time. Why were they not, um, why were they still afraid? Why were they afraid of their, uh, of their enemies? And they were, it's very clear. John twenty nineteen says, that evening the disciples gathered together and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. Now, now here, here is what we need to understand. They needed an encounter and a baptism in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said they did. They, Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm not going to be with you long. And they would say, no, you, you shouldn't leave. You're the reason we're doing what we're doing, and we need you. And Jesus was, no, if I don't leave, you won't get what you need next. And what they needed next was what Jesus called the gift of the Father, of the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus had been resurrected, after he taught on the kingdom of God to a select number of several hundred, he told, actually the last thing he told uh And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so what Jesus was saying was, listen, the Holy Spirit will come to you. He will dwell in you, and it won't be a theological dwelling only. It will be a power encounter. There will be some transforming aspects to what goes on when that happens. Now, it's not a cure-all, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you realize it's not a cure-all? But if we do not have that kind of encounter with the Lord, it is no wonder we don't excel at life. It's no wonder we fail at things we shouldn't fail at. It's no wonder that we can't stand in places in society um, with honesty and patience and love and care. It's because we need what Jesus said we need, which is an encounter with the Holy Spirit that we actually feel. How many of you know feelings are important? You know, people say feelings aren't important. You just need to have faith. Well, I think you need both. Uh, what would it be like to have faith and be depressed? That's a feeling, right? How many of you deal with depression? Anybody here deal with depression? Yeah. Do you see my hand up? I mean, I had a walking nervous breakdown a number of years ago, and I'd already met Jesus. I'd already been touched by the power of the Spirit. We are in a legit war. Do you realize that? Now, I wasn't going to go here, but let me go here. 
there are certain hindrances that are part of our response to life that restricts how the Spirit of God can actually touch us. And one of them is offense. How many of you have been listening to the news lately? How many of you are offended? Bunch of liars, too. How many of you lie? <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. I'm sorry. That's too pushy, but... One of the things we have got to understand is that if we allow offense of any nature, it will restrict the ability, not the ability of God, it will restrict our ability to be touched by the power of God the way he wants to touch us. Even in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, not period, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Listen, we, we are in a culture war ladies and gentlemen, and both sides are wrong and both sides are right. just depends on what the issue is. But what we have got to recognize is we are in danger of losing our personal destinies if we allow offense and hostility and rancor and bitterness to prevail in our hearts and lives. It's a serious, serious Danger, and it really needs to be repented of. We don't talk much about repentance, but but our whole culture is permeated with sexual immorality, with bitterness, with strife, with anger, with rancor, and every one of those things wars. If we participate, they war against our souls. They keep us from divine destiny, and at the end of your life, you are going to have. Uh, divine analysis from heaven. The Lord himself is going to, to show you where you could have been and how far you got. And, and the majority of the fault is going to be on our side if we allow these things into our lives. And it, it's hard not to, isn't it? I, my wife every once in a while has to tell me, you don't need to be talking about that anymore. It's a trap. It's a trap. How many of you need to repent of any of those things I just mentioned? Let's do that. Come on. Let's repent. Let's get. Don't you want, don't you want uh, God to touch you as much as he, you can allow? Well, let's, let's just stand together and pray. Let's, let's, even if you don't need to repent, repent from hardness of heart and not knowing you need to. <laughs> I'm trying to get everybody in here. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to help somebody. Can you hear my heart, please? And and I would push you into it if I could, but I can't. I can't even push myself into it. I have to come like everybody does, just through repentance and faith. So, okay, everybody know which side your right arm is. Just 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 lose our, the right arm means Lord, we're giving you this stuff back. We're sorry. We, we fell for it. We, we committed sin of one description or another. And we want that just out of the way. And Lord, you said, if we confess our faults, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means as you stand today and acknowledge your need for God in areas he is convicting you of, you are now by according to the word of God, completely 
clean from whatever that was. Say, I'm clean. I'm clean. Listen, come on, I'm clean. I, I proclaim I'm free from that thing. I'm free from that thing. Now, turn to somebody and say, you even look a little better. And they're kissing on the front row. That's pretty awesome. Greet one another with a holy kiss, the Bible says. So, Now, let's take a deep breath. Really. In with the good air. Now, this, this, this is very interesting. When the Holy Ghost moves, it's not like you think it's going to happen. It's the way it actually happens. What's another word for spirit, according to the language of the Bible? Breath, wind. So there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit you can actually breathe in. I've told people this, and they look at me really funny. I say, you can actually receive by faith an impartation of the Spirit by simply by faith. Say those two words. By faith, breathing him in. And you might say, well, it never worked before. And I said, well, you never did it by faith before, maybe. But it's very interesting when the Holy Spirit begins to move, how he wants to touch people. Um, okay, so we see the need. I want to go through some verses of Scripture here that uh, you may have overlooked. Um, Psalm 46, 1 through 4, is that up there now? Let's read that together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's pretty troublesome times, isn't it? Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Now, the word selah means think about that. That's, that's very serious trouble, isn't it? What's verse 4 is? There's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Now, Hebrew thought often did this. They presented a problem followed by a solution. Say that with me. Presented a problem, what would the problem be? No, the solution would not be the problem. What would the problem, how many of you have been to a funeral and read this? God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth, even though we're in the middle of an earthquake and though the mountains suddenly are carried off into the midst of the sea, even though the oceans, lakes roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, what's the solution to all that trouble? Verse 4. There's a river. The river's the solution to the problem. 
What kind of river? Well, a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. I think only one person ever lived the reality of, of what the Holy Spirit can do in a person's life perfectly, and that was Jesus. Because Jesus was virtually never troubled by anything he faced. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness, the oil of joy, more than all his brethren. That's Hebrews 1.9, and it's a quotation actually out of uh, the Old Testament. But there is this idea, and it's a very good idea, and it's a very important idea that the Spirit of God is sufficient to make us glad even in the midst of terrible things that go on. And that is a characteristic of early believers that changed and shook the world. They were happy anyway. They were glad anyway because they had discovered that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Um, okay. Now. My notes, how is the river the solution to the trouble mentioned in verses 1 through 3? Let's look at Psalm 36, 8 and 9. Let's read that together. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now. Psalm 36, verse 8, abundantly satisfied. That phrase is literally, some people use the word literally, figuratively. I had a guy say, I was literally floating off the ground. And I said, no, you were not. You were figuratively floating off the ground. Because if you were literally floating off the ground, you would not have been on the ground. Language means something. Now, not in America anymore. You just change, oh, okay, marriage means whatever, you know. No, no, language means something. (laughs) Abundantly satisfied is literally translated. Are you reading this? Shall be made drunk. In the Chaldaic, Ethiopic, Syriac, Vulgate, Septuagint translations. Now, that kind of intoxication speaks of the kind of joy God's to his people, God gives to his people who drink from the river and his fountain of life. Um, why do people drink alcohol? Feel good. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. Most times it doesn't work. And I'm not suggesting drinking alcohol in this context. But what I'm saying is the Bible says that basically I would understand this. The human condition requires something to help us on a different plane than what it is we have. We need something from a higher dimension to touch this lower dimension because you cannot chop a wooden tree down with a wooden axe handle. You have to have something from a higher dimension to positively affect a lower dimension. 
And what the Bible is saying here is the power of the Spirit of God can touch you in such a way that you will become intoxicated with God in a way that will keep you up above your situations and your circumstances. That's what this is talking about. Now, the 23rd Psalm. How many of you know the 23rd Psalm? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, etc. Verse 5, is it there on the slide number 3? It says what? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. What does your cup do? So what? That's that. What does my cup runs over mean? Well, what it means to us is we spilled something. However, (laughs) in the Septuagint, is that up there too, this note? Oh, awesome. That's the translation the apostles read. My cup runs over is translated this way. Your cup is making me drunk like the finest wine. Is there no wonder translators wouldn't translate that that way? But when the apostles read their Bible, Psalm 23, that's what they saw. But they understood what it meant. There's more to God than theology. There's more to the Holy Spirit than being the third person of the Trinity. He is a person we can experience that will touch us in ways that will enable us to get over things that we have not been able to get over or overcome because he will touch us profoundly and deeply and sincerely and joyously. I like that. Um, The Latin Vulgate translates this phrase, and my inebriating chalice, how excellent it is. (laughs) Take another drink. Now, This inebriating chalice is here with you today. And you can have as much as you like. But there's a problem. There's the horse to water issue. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. St. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the church, in his commentary on Psalm 23.5, what I'm trying to do is, I'm, I'm not trying to beat you black and blue with these verses, but I'm trying to show you that many people in the church age, down through the ages, understood the Holy Spirit in, in this way. This is not something new. This is not something new. Um, St. Augustine's commentary on Psalm 23.5, You have prepared a table in my sight against them that trouble me. You have fattened my head with oil. You have gladdened my mind with spiritual joy. You see that? And your inebriating cup, how excellent is it? And then this last little phrase, and your cup yielding forgetfulness of former vain delights. How excellent is it? God has the power to touch you in a way that you will forget those things that hurt you. And by forgetting them, I mean the presence and power of those things will be pushed out of your life by what God brings in. Um, Let's read slide number four. 
Jeremiah 2.13. Let's read that out loud. For my people have committed... How did God describe himself? Me, the fountain of living waters. Do you remember Psalm um, 36? They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from what? The river of your pleasures for with you is what? The fountain, the fountain of life. And so it's like the Lord is saying to us, I, I welcome you to come. I welcome you to receive me in a way and in a level that will so help you emotionally and spiritually. And of course, in um, John seven thirty seven, Jesus says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if, is this up there? If anyone thirst, let him do what? Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, I, um, I'm going to read another testimony out of my book. This is my book, Harbinger of Hope. What's the rest of it? Harper Collins, Amazon, 1895. I'll just jump in the middle of this testimony. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask anybody that wants for prayer to come up. There's not going to be any pressure. We're not going to make you do something stupid. We're just going to respond to the Lord and ask him to touch us. Is that good? Yeah, let's just see what happens. And um, I, know, I know it's going to be good. Um, I had talked in this, uh, I think it's chapter 10, about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, uh, I had talked about a couple of mothers and what had happened to them. So this starts, another mother, whom I will call Jane, experienced healing in a profoundly different way. She and her husband, Matthew, had been in church with me for years when their unmarried teenage daughter got pregnant. When time came for the baby to be born, the couple were in their daughter's hospital room and the baby's father was there. The baby's father and Matthew, that would be the grandfather, got into a fight, tussling on the floor right in the hospital room. Actually, the father of the child bit the granddad in the chest. I mean, that's just redneck awful, right? That's just, I mean, okay, fight. Just don't be biting each other. So, Jane, the, the grandmother now, struggled to cope with these stressful events and became depressed. The church I pastored began to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways the spirits touch people manifested as, we call it spiritual intoxication, which often or sometimes resulted in uh, as intense laughter. One Sunday morning at the end of the service, I saw Jane sitting on the back row of the sanctuary. I knew she was having a difficult time. And I wanted the Lord to touch her. How many of you want the Lord to touch people? Help them. I really do. He's the Lord. He knows how to do it. I asked her if I could pray for her. As I did, she began to laugh and laugh. I mean, she really cackled. 
for a long time. How many of you know what culottes are? Culottes are dresses that look like shorts. She had one foot stuck straight up in the air just to give you an idea of how much the Lord touched her and what you have to look forward to here in a minute. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, but no, I'm not joking. That really happened, but I think you're safe, okay? <laughs> I re- actually recorded her and played it back for her later, and that was quite a thrill for me. But uh, <laughs> I, I would not do that to you. For a long time, she laughed hysterically, and her depression instantly left and affected her no longer. She became one of my best intercessors and later began to work for a national Christian ministry where she thrived for years. That's what the power of the Spirit can do. It may look foolish, but the fruit is indisputable. And everything doesn't happen that way. You should not be afraid or not going to embarrass anybody, but... um, if put on some music back there, and those of you who I've asked to come up and pray, if you'll come up, and then anybody who wants prayer, if you'll come up, and we're going to ask the Lord to touch you, and we're not going to dictate how or what he does, but we just want to give him an opportunity to, to touch you. We want to see people touched. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.